Would you join me now in a prayer for illumination? Come, Spirit of the Lord, and speak through us. Send your holy word to be upon our tongues and your gospel upon our hearts. Speak to us, speak through us, speak among us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Gospel this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 30 through 36. It says this, Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Morning, y'all. My name is Anthony. I am the youth director here at Chapelwood, and I have the distinct pleasure and privilege of being able to talk with you all this morning about God having feelings, which is a really uh, wonderful sermon topic to come up with. This is, um, there's, there's a class that I took in seminary. Uh, as a youth pastor and hopefully a deacon soon, uh, one of the things I needed to do was get a master's of divinity. And so I went to seminary and learned a bunch of things. But uh, the first class that I ever took when I had moved to Illinois in Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary was called Grief and Loss. Now, my professor had said, this is going to be a very, very difficult class. And I looked at the syllabus and I was like, what? I have to read like three books and maybe do two papers and do like a, a visit to a funeral home or something. This is not, oh, and watch a movie and talk about grief? That is not going to be complicated. No worries whatsoever. I mean, and we've all taken class before of some kind. I mean, pretty much everyone in here, except for maybe the Qualls baby, has taken a class before, right? But um, we all know, you know, two plus two, four, right? We get that. We, we, start, we learn, start to learn things, then we can regurgitate information. The 16th letter of the alphabet is... I have to sing the song, don't you, huh? I, it's actually P, because M is the 13th right in the middle, and then, okay, whatever. Anyway, see, it's not that hard. When you think about it, right, you think about it logically, and you're like, okay, I can figure these things out. I, a lot of y'all in here are engineers. You know, it's, it's math, it's problem solving. You've got these things, these formulas, these orders, right? So it's, it's, it's easy. Class, you know, class eventually becomes, after you do it over and over again, it becomes normal. Um, but consider for a moment, what is it like to comfort a lost, uh, someone who's lost a family member? The class is very much like that. I need to be consoling, but I'm not quite sure what to do. Teach, but it was teaching us things that we could say and things that we shouldn't say, and how to be present. It was definitely, it was tough. Because uh, not only did we, need, did we learn how to be present and how to say certain things and not say other things, we were also taught these things by processing some of our own grief. That was hard. That was real hard. One of the things that I had to do was go to a funeral home, as I said, 
and I went to a Jewish funeral home, which was really, really interesting. I sat with one of the directors and walked around with them, and they told me about all these different elements of, uh, of Jewish funerals. And one of the things that I saw was I saw this little room that had these really low benches and this table in the middle. And I was like, what's, what's that for? And she said, um, it's for Shiva. And having taken a little bit of Hebrew in, uh, in divinity school, I was like, what's seven? <laughs> That's the Hebrew word for seven, which is a joke that only like four of us get. But anywho, so she chuckled and she started to explain this ancient Jewish funeral practice that in Judaism, historically, people mourned uh, in a much more intense way than we do in the modern day, especially in Christianity. Uh, in, Ju- in Judaism, Shiva is traditionally a seven-day mourning period where people are able to just sit, usually in a low position, and grieved what they've lost for seven days. Often people will show up and bring them food and say traditional blessings to them. They are surrounded by loved ones so that they don't have to focus on the minutiae of everyday life. They're given the space to grieve. They are given permission by their culture to sit, be, and feel what they feel. So when we read our Bible passage today, Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus's sisters, they've already been sitting Shiva for four days. Later on, Martha goes, um, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. He stinketh. <laughs> so we know that he's been sitting for four days and they are in mourning. That's why there were friends around them. That's why they said there were other Jews around them because they were all participating in this tradition together. And Martha, even before, had already come to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is dying. I just want you to be with us. And Jesus goes, don't you believe? Don't you believe that I have power over this? Do you know who I am? And Martha goes, uh, yeah, actually I do. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's coming into the world. And he goes, I'm the resurrection and the life. So Jesus has already talked to Martha and given her some kind of comfort, some kind of consolation, but he hasn't gone to sit Shiva with them. And this is a friend of his someone who he's close to. He didn't show up for a few days. So put yourself in Lazarus's sister's shoes just for a second. Just, you've been sitting Shiva for four days and that's a long time to mourn for us already, right? Usually we're back to work the next day, or maybe two. And in the ancient Near East, uh, your support, your life support, the people who supported you if you were a woman or a child was a, was a guy. It was a patriarchal society and structure. It's called the pater familia. You only had identity to a family because of the man that was who, whose, part, whose family you were a part of. That's it. So Lazarus dying, they're not just losing their brother. They're losing their way of life. They're losing the resources that they get from being tied to a family. It's a huge, huge, huge loss. Imagine what that would be like. There's six types of loss. Uh, according to this book uh, that I read in this grief and loss class by uh, Herbert Anderson and Kenneth Mitchell, it's called All Our Losses, All Our Griefs. There's six kinds of loss. Um, there's the, mo- the most recognized relationship loss. It's when you lose someone who's close to you, uh, either through death or through a breakup or through some other sig- significant circumstance. Maybe their faculties go away and you don't have the same person that was there anymore. 
But there's five other types of loss. There's material loss, which is like when you lose a thing, like your favorite stuffed animal. That's important, right? There's, uh, there's relationship loss. There's something called intrapsychic loss, which is a loss of a dream or an ideal or vision of how life would be. And suddenly that's gone. And you can grieve that too. There's a loss of function. So if I lost an arm or my sight or any of us are losing function, that is loss. And you're allowed to grieve that. Not only is there functional loss, but there's also role loss. The loss of a job or the loss of being a husband or wife or spouse. The loss of being in charge of things like you used to be and now you're not anymore. That's role loss. That's okay to grieve too. And then there's systemic loss which is the loss of a system or process that you're so used to. This is why when long-term couples lose a loved one, they still pour two cups of coffee in the morning. There's all kinds of ways that we experience loss. And all of them are valid to grieve. Grief is a totally normal human emotion and experience that happens in response to loss, whether we want it to or not. And let's be honest. Who is signing up for grief experiences? Not me, that's for sure. Mary and Martha sure didn't. Their loss as both systemic and their loss of connection to family, relationally and to a brother that they loved, intrapsychic in the sense of what it could have been. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, you could have done something. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary comes to Jesus' feet and says those words and she is weeping. Now, the word here for crying in Greek is kaleo, kaleo. That is defined as crying, lamentation over the dead, weeping for loss, just pouring out of one's soul into the grief process. These feelings were legitimate, absolutely legitimate. And Jesus joined in on that crying, but it's a little bit different. You'd think, right, that when Jesus shows up to the scene of all these people crying, all these people just pouring out their heart and souls into this grief process, that Jesus would join them in that, right? Right? I mean, Jesus does cry a couple verses later, but I looked at the word for Jesus' response. I wanted to know what greatly disturbed and deeply moved in spirit meant. So instead of coming up with the same word, kleo, the words that come up are embromini, Sorry. Embryomai, goodness, embryomai, and terasso. Embryomai and terasso, they're different words. The first one, which is embryomai, is like uh, the one for greatly disturbed in spirit. That does not actually mean sad. What that means is stern or indignant. I was like, wait, hold on a second here. Jesus was like upset or angry? He was like, what? And deeply moved in spirit, agitated or restless. Okay. Where'd you lay him? I expected Jesus to just fall into that moment and be like, oh, my heart is broken for you. Where, where is he so that I can grieve too? But that's not what this necessarily conveys. I was so ready for this to be a sermon about how God weeps for that which is lost. And certainly, Jesus' compassion for those that he cared for is undeniable and immeasurable. But in this moment with his friends, Jesus becomes human in the most full sense of the word. He gets put off or angry. Now, 
Grief is interesting. In Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's grief model, this is the one that you're probably familiar with, there are five stages, denial, anger, depression, or sadness, bargaining, and acceptance. And of course, grief is not a linear process, right? So we don't really get to pick where we are on the spectrum in that particular moment. Take a deep breath. Think back to a moment where you lost something that's significant to you or someone. What did you feel? What emotions popped up? Were they organized? Could you put them in a little box and say, here's my grief, here's my sadness? No, it's messy. No, we sway as humans all over the place in the midst of that grief. Some days we wake up and we are furious with God. How dare you? How dare you take that from me, God? Why? You knew I needed that. You stole it from me. And that is okay. That is okay to be angry with God. Jesus was angry. You can be too. When Jesus does come into contact with Mary and Martha then and sees them weeping, maybe, maybe then his anger comes out because that's when he starts grieving. Because maybe up until that point he was like, no, it's going to be fine. He's going to be alive. And he says that. He's like, he's dead, but we're going to wake him up. He says that to his disciples earlier. We're going to wake him up. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then he gets there with his friends in the midst of his grief and he goes, gosh darn it. I'm angry, disturbed, and those are valid feelings to hold on to. And then does he quickly switch when we get to 35? Because we get to verse 35, and then he's walking with them, and he's crying. He's weeping. I'm like, okay, well, here's where kaleo happens. Nope. Nope. That word literally is shed tears, and that's it. It comes from the root word for tear in Greek. Dakriu is that word. Jesus sheds tears, but the author puts no emotional connection to it and leaves it ambiguous. Jesus is simply given the opportunity to cry. Perfect. And then the people there, later on in the passage, they argue, why is Jesus crying? Well, it's because he loved Lazarus. Or couldn't he have just stopped this? from happening? He heals the blind. He can't raise a guy from the dead, or he can't, he can't have stopped this from happening? Yeah, Jesus did that. Jesus knelt with people. He sat down with them, those who were hurting and he, who were sick, and he healed them. This cannot be forgotten as we examine this Jesus who walks on his way to a friend's tomb crying. But what's interesting is that Jesus' emotion doesn't begin until he comes into the town. Once he's with the mourners, that's when his emotions kick on. It's, I wonder if Jesus was avoiding that grieving process. I wonder if Jesus was un- avoiding sitting Shiva. And I wonder how much that makes Jesus like all of us. Every single one of us. I think it's easy. It's easy to put off our emotions until there doesn't seem to be any other choice. We put off our emotions until the right time. But grief can find us in any moment, and usually when it's most inconvenient. Even for Jesus, the desire to keep grief away was real. Just like they are in us. 
And what good news? What good news? What comfort? That even God incarnate was still figuring out what these complicated and deep emotions in the midst of grief are. And God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now knows what it's like to say, I'll feel those feelings later. I have stuff to do right now. What permission? What permission we have to not have to process through emotions in a logical and linear fashion. That makes God so personal, so real. To think that that my story, that the grief that I felt, that your story, that the grief that you felt does not need logical progression and it's something that God has felt too. consider that perhaps my God can sit with me in the middle of all that overwhelming and painful hurt and truly understand my heart. What comfort? What love? God does not exist as someone far off, some emotionless being who cannot determine the sorrow of humanity. No, the divine presence saw it, felt it. And we are so frequently told that when those emotions pop up, we need to just stuff them back down. But Jesus did not repress what he felt. Jesus did not repress it. They saw it. The author saw it and wrote it down. What did he feel? Now, we've been talking about that for a little bit, and I'm curious. I don't think that I know everything. I'm so curious, in fact, that I want to ask y'all, I want to ask you here to respond. In that ambiguity of the word dakriu, in those tears, what was Jesus feeling? Go ahead in that ambiguity. You can put yourself in Jesus' shoes here. Oh, futility. That's a good word. Yes. Futility in terms of pain. Hmm. As in maybe, I really could have stopped this pain from happening. Is that what you're saying? Hmm. Hmm. How many of you, when you have little ones, come up to you and say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, someone called me a name at school today. That you're just like, it's go time, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Where are they? Tell me their parents' house. I will razz the heck out of them, right? That's our first instinct. Anyone that's not their first instinct? Okay. All right. Good. Glad to know I'm in good company. But how, how depriving of a growth experience would that be for me to just fix that for them? And so, yes, futility indeed. Ugh. I know that I could have stopped their pain from happening, and I didn't. And I'm angry that that happened to you. I'm angry that your pain is real, because it shouldn't have to be. Right? We feel that. Thank you. Anyone else?
Frustration. With who? Yeah. Yeah, Mary and Martha. Come on. You know I've got this. Why? Why are you doubting me? Man, that's hard. That's hard to hold on to frustration. So much easier to just say, oh, for, all right, fine. No, I'm going to let it go. Forget it. No. But Jesus feels that frustration. And then he goes and does something. Jesus does not let that emotion go. He does not let that futility, he does not let that, let that frustration go. He says, I need to feel that. And then he goes and does something about it. Maybe Jesus was angry with, maybe Jesus was angry with death. Perhaps Jesus was upset that this system of life decay led to his friend's pain. But Jesus, frustrated or futile or angry or sad or whatever emotion Jesus held on to, no matter what emotion he had in those moments, he upsets the cycle of death and proves that he has power over it. What's amazing about Jesus' emotions is that no matter what he felt, Jesus' emotions always led him to a place of restoration, wholeness, and resurrection. Every time. See, emotions are okay. They're not a problem. They don't need to be stuffed down. It's okay to feel them. But when you feel them, what do you do with them? Do you say, forget it. I'm not doing anything anymore. I am not going to make this life better. I'm just going to retreat into a little hole. Or do you say, I can use this to do something great for healing, restoration, for wholeness, for resurrection. That's the good news, y'all. That's the good news. That no matter how God feels about the world, no matter how God feels about everything that's happening in it, no matter how God feels about us, every feeling of God moves towards restoration, towards wholeness, towards resurrection. Yeah, God does feel sadness. God does feel anger, frustration, upset. God has feelings, y'all. But those feelings do not dictate God's love for us. In fact, they spur God on to love us more deeply. When the Holy Spirit grieves with you on whatever timeline your grief happens, remember that as Jesus walked to the tomb with you, in your grief, Jesus wept. And your emotions are valid. God wants you to be restored. You will have someone who will walk beside you to the tomb. And resurrection is coming. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.